What's up, guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash Tales from Tech Support. For those of you that are regulars here, trying something a little bit different, nothing too major, by the way, just uh, wanted to give you all a heads up and see if anybody notices the difference, and uh, we're doing some algorithmic experimentation. Not sure I could even say that again if I tried. Anyway, let's do some tech support. A Karen before they existed. No, they've always existed. This is before they and the internet were invented and became famous. Back in the last century, yes, really, around 1981 or so, I worked at what was called a TV, television repair and sales shop. We even had a few of the tube, not just the picture tube, TVs come in for repair. Yes, you younglings, TVs had tubes and were not flat, but I digress. Back then, 12-inch black and white TVs were popular. Feel free to Google it for an image. I'm too lazy to link one. They were small and often had a white case with a carry handle. They were popular because they were relatively inexpensive, lightweight, and easily moved from room to room. They had a particular following with older folks and people in prison. Prison because most had a headphone jack and met the requirements. This story is about one owned by an older person. So I'm working the repair desk and also covering the front counter one day. I'm out back and I hear the door chime go off indicating one of our customers coming in. I get up from whatever repair I'm working on and go out to assist them. As I make my turn into the showroom area, I'm hit by a tidal wave of cigarette smoke. I don't smoke. The owners and all the employees at the time didn't smoke. We didn't allow smoking in the store. I already knew this would be fun. I made the turn into the front and the customer, an older woman, was carrying her TV. The aforementioned 12 inch black and white. But there was no one smoking out there. I was confused until my eyes focused on the TV. It was a variety that had the normal size and shape, but had a very dark brown, almost black case. I had never seen or smelled such a thing. I realized this poor TV had lived its life in a very unhealthy environment, and now we had to provide care. She gave us the symptoms, argued about the repair deposit, and took a repair slip and receipt. The receipt had the serial number, which will become important later. Immediately after she left, I bagged the TV, which kind of stuck to my hand when I picked it up, ugh, in a plastic bag, sealed it, and set it aside. About 45 minutes later, the store owner came back from a service call. When he came in, he could still smell the smoke and asked. I just pointed to the bag TV. The next day, I took it outside, armed with a few rolls of paper towels and some 409, and went to work. Came back in for another roll of paper towels and finished cleaning the outside. Brought it in, fixed the issues she brought it in for, all caused by a smoke residue. Bagged it again and called to let her know it was ready to be picked up. My boss decided to charge her the minimum just to get it out quickly. That was a mistake. She came in the next day. I brought the TV out and it was like lighting a fuse. It started slow built up and then exploded. First, there was the argument that it was not her TV. It looked different, wasn't the right size, was too bright when we plugged it in to show her it was fixed because we scraped years of nicotine off the screen, etc. The owner came out and talked to her and told her we were only charging the minimum, which caused her to go off and say that that was because we lost her TV. The volume and arguments built for a few minutes until we pointed out the serial number. We showed her that the TV and her slip had the same serial number, at which point she said she would take it and said she would come back and pay tomorrow. My boss said, that's fine. We both think she thought she was getting a newer, better TV, so just went with it. On a surprise note, she actually did come back and pay the next day. We spent more on paper towels and cleaning supplies than any other device in my 18 years there, and it may still yet cause my cancer, but we all survived, and that's what was important. As someone who grew up in a house full of smokers, I can honestly say that none of our stuff ever got that bad. I'm not saying, you know, there wasn't occasional spots, you know, in the room where there might have been a little bit of nicotine buildup, but overall, it really wasn't like what some of these stories describe. It's just amazing to me. Now, 
I had parents that cleaned pretty regularly, so I mean, it wasn't that big a deal. We kept things clean. The only other thing I would say is maybe in their cars a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's it's still pretty nasty dealing with that. I got into a work truck once when I worked for a cabinet company. The guy was out sick, and I went to get into his truck to drive it to the job site, and I, I couldn't even stand to touch the steering wheel. Everything was sticky with tar and nicotine. I, I, I told the boss, I said, I'm not taking this truck anywhere until I get about an hour out of an hour and a half to clean things out. And even after doing all that, it stunk and it was just nasty. Ugh. I do remember the days of those little portable televisions. They were they were pretty cool, man. Always had my needle nose pliers for the knob that my mom took because she thought that then I couldn't control the TV if she took it off. And the ubiquitous uh, coat hanger TV antenna because the other antenna usually broke off because we were pretty careless with it, as the kids were anyway. Supporting a tech support phone system changeover. So there's a project in our corporation to change over from old helpline phone system to new helpline phone system. There's user acceptance testing going on right now for the new helpline phone system. One of the helplines has different people, John, Mary, Bob, etc. Not their real names. John and Mary are doing the testing. In order to get the test environment, there's a spoof phone number we use. You call into the spoofing phone number, then provide the number you want it to call, which will route it to test environment for a new helpline phone system. Mary was testing the number that should have gotten John. Instead, she got Bob. Bob isn't involved in the testing. He isn't even supposed to be set up in new helpline phone system yet because we're just testing. Bob, for his part, was the old helpline phone system. Still, it seemed very impressive that the spoofing for the test environment was so good it could mimic Bob. It turned out that Mary had called out from inside the new helpline phone system, which does go live, doesn't spoof, because she missed a step, but it gave everyone a WTF moment. I have no idea what any of that meant. I understand the testing environment and the old phone system and the new phone system, but I, I don't understand how the two connect in this story. So maybe some of you guys could fill me in down below. Developers versus electromagnetism. More years ago than I care to recall, I had an issue with developers machine in a building across town from where I worked. Random BSODs, blue screen of death, of different types I'd never seen before and certainly never together. First step, remote OS rebuild was fine for a day or two and then the issue returned. The dev was rather snippy because they had to reinstall all their tools in SW again for nothing, which to be fair I sympathized with, but it was the obvious first option to try. Second step, I dispatched our hardware guy to check things out and swap in a new computer if necessary, and to make his life easier asked the dev to make sure the desk around the PC was clear, which he duly did, even swapping in a new motherboard just in case, and then less than a week later the problem returned. Third step, our hardware guy and I had a chat, scratched our heads and declared that the dev's computer was obviously cursed. He headed up with a replacement computer and I called the now seething dev to let them know that it was inbound and to clear their desk. Guess what? Four days later it started randomly blue screening again. The dev was obviously livid at this point, threatening to escalate over all the missed productive time, etc. I happened to be in their building that day for a meeting and decided to swing by to show willingness and perhaps pour some oil on troubled waters. The dev wasn't there, but I thought I'd leave a note and looked on their desk for a post-it and pen. And that was when I spotted the dev's collection of a dozen or so fridge magnets from various holiday destinations stuck to the side of the metal computer case, mostly over where I estimated the hard drive was located. Muttering under my breath, I removed them. I realized that the dev had probably helpfully removed them each time I'd told them the hardware guy was coming, and then reattached them afterwards, probably right before the workstation started failing all over again. 
I'd cooled off a bit by the time I got back to my own building and wrote an excruciatingly polite email identifying them as the likely root cause and asking sweetly when they'd like another remote rebuild, assuming the new device hadn't been completely trashed by the magnets already. I've met more than a few devs who grok the hardware and ops side of things really well, some almost scarily so, and most have the right troubleshooting mindset too, but sadly others just aren't interested or even remotely curious about that side of things. Yeah, unfortunately, when a lot of people in offices started realizing the outside of these cases were metal, they would start sticking all kinds of magnets to them. We had one guy, and I wasn't doing tech support, I was a job site superintendent for commercial construction. But I shared my trailer with another guy who was a project manager, and uh, he would stick little round magnets to the side of his computer case with pieces of paper behind it. We had sticky notes, so I'm not sure why he did this. But anyway, with various notes, lists, phone numbers, and things like that, and uh, so that he had easy access, kind of like my computer here. And I told him, I said, look, I'll put up a corkboard for you or something, a whiteboard, anything, a magnetic whiteboard even. I said, but you got to stop sticking magnets to the side of your computer. You're going to wreck it. And uh, he didn't believe me and kept doing it. And sure enough, next thing I know, a couple days later, he's asking me to use my computer to check his email. Uh, yeah, goofball. My computer's locked up. Not my story, but my roommates from many, many years ago. You know, back when DOS was a thing. That many years ago. He worked for a company that built software to run scales. Not the bathroom variety, but those big monsters used to weigh dump trucks full of rocks or garbage trucks full of, well, garbage. Customer calls in saying his computer's locked up. It won't do anything. Okay, well, let's try a few things to see if we can shake it loose. Cue montage scene with appropriate music playing over someone on the phone getting increasingly frustrated. After two and a half hours of non-productive frustration, he finally breaks down and says, read me everything on your screen. Start at the top of the left corner and tell me every letter, number, and symbol you see until you've given me every last character there. Customer then reads off a litany of letters, numbers, and symbols and finishes off with, and then there's that little flashy thing. Tech support guy says, excuse me, what? Brain dead customer says, the flashy thing, it's just a solid box flashing off and on. Tech support guy says, you mean the cursor? Brain dead customer says, if that's what you call it. With blood dripping out of his ear, the tech support guy says, hit the enter key. Brain dead customer says, hey, that worked, thanks. Not even sure what to say about this one. Um, I mean, did the guy only have the computer for a couple days at that point, or is this just something that he's never paid attention to? Uh, the scanner. It started nearly three months back when a coworker's handheld scanner stopped working, so we bought a new one. I was in her office the other day when she went on a rant about it, and she was on the verge of throwing it out the window as it would stop scanning occasionally and make lots of beeps. I scanned in an item right in front of her, and of course it worked perfectly. Still, I had a good idea that it was powering off, and I just needed to reprogram it not to power off. I wasn't able to contact the manufacturer and was waiting for a response back. In the meantime, my coworker said she would just live with it. Instead, I got in this morning with the scanner on my desk. This allowed me to do some testing on it, and sure enough, it would turn off after five minutes of inactivity with a beep. To wake it up, you needed to click the trigger where it would make a new beep and then you could carry on like normal. I was rolling my eyes that this was the problem she was having. I never did hear back from the manufacturer, but found a secondary manual which had different barcodes to scan. That barcode worked and sure enough, it didn't turn off. I thought my coworker would be happy I fixed it, but nope, she wanted nothing to do with it. She found another scanner and loved that one. I think her old age is catching up with her. Yeah, I, if she can't learn how to do the, the press of the trigger to get it to wake back up, I mean, it's obviously a power-saving thing. And if you didn't have that, most of these scanners would be going dead halfway through the day. Um, and then you'd really be SOL. So, yeah, I think that's a dangerous precedent to set. 
I think it just needs to be left alone and she needs to learn how to deal with it. Going in circles about a phone number. So I work for a statewide IT. What I do is mostly incidents and tickets regarding Mitel and Teams phones. Among Mitel duties is going into the servers and updating the user information so that line XYZ rings as John Doe and the voicemail links to JD's email. If a customer or client needs the speed dial hotkeys on their phone updated, that's also something we have to do on our side. It's pretty cut and dry stuff. This particular incident has been going on for a few days now, and me and the customer have been going in circles because said customer won't give me the correct information, and all attempts to call them sends me straight to their voicemail. They need two hotkeys on a clerical phone in their office updated, so Veronica Sawyer gets changed to Regina George and Ben Franklin and Tim Allens. I'm not sure what we're doing here. All I need to do that then is the phone number for that particular phone, the phone whose hotkeys I'll be updating. Simple, yeah? Apparently not. Customer, who took two days to even give me any information at all, gives me the phone numbers for Regina and Tim. Doesn't give me the number for the phone I need to update. I think, well, it looks like their own individual phones are set up and labeled correctly in the system. No changes needed to be done there. Since it looks like we'll need to update the hotkeys for a specific phone, I need the number for that one. The customer, after a day, gives me the numbers for Regina and Tim again, and then a main line ring group. These lines don't attach to an individual phone. They're umbrella numbers to link the phones to an office. And there could be from one to two to a dozen numbers underneath it. I say, looks like that's a main line number. What seven digit extension is the phone we're updating using? The customer ghosts me for two days, ignores my calls, and then escalates things by making an incident ticket. For more serious and I need attention now problems as opposed to just the normal request tickets it originally was. About how this request hasn't been done yet and mentioning that I apparently don't know what I'm doing. Incident, ironically, was assigned to me, and I comment on it, that the original task is still ongoing, and I'm waiting on a response from the customer. And the customer finally responds after that with, Well, like I said X days ago, their numbers are this and this, and gives me the numbers to Regina and Tim again, which I've already said are not the numbers I need. I'm so ready to pull my hair out with this one. Edit. It got solved. Her supervisor, I think, hopped on the ticket, actually answered the calls, and in like five minutes we sorted out what needed to be done and got everything updated and working. Turned out it was her, the one who made the ticket, own phone that needed to be updated. Every company, every office, I don't care where it is, is going to have at least one person who, and I'm pretty sure it's intentional, who like to make things extremely complicated and difficult for just the sake of doing it. There doesn't seem to be any other logical explanation because what they're doing isn't usually that difficult. What's the phone number of the phone we're updating? Is it your phone? Oh, what's your phone number? You know, things like that. It's just not that hard of a question. All right, guys, as usual, thanks for sharing a little bit of your day with me today. And uh, until the next one, we'll see you.